the way the Bible is written and the way David even talks about the messianic kingdom is that the love and law of God are not human-made things. They are transcendent, real attributes that exist in this universe. Good to have you all in the house of the Lord today. Come on, who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? Let me hear you. It's good to have you here. I, uh, this is a, it's a good day, man. It's a really good day. And I, uh, and I do believe that God wants to move in powerful ways in all of our services. And I was thinking this morning about um, even Bishop Thompson and God's Grace, our sister church, um, downtown and next week we'll have the one together service it'll be so fun to preach and teach with Bishop Thompson and crew so make sure to come next week they're going to give you details Kathy will at the end of the service right uh, we need you to sign up uh, God's grace we'll meet down there next Sunday evening did I get that right next Sunday evening five o'clock p.m. it's going to be a wonderful time of worship with God's grace and then we're going to have a huge barbecue after the service who doesn't like barbecue Barbecue is great, um, and it's good, and it's awesome that we're doing this even after the Juneteenth thing, um, because we do believe that God wants us all to gather together, just like the end of Revelation, every color, creed, tribe, together, proclaiming Jesus Christ as a central compass for humanity for forever. It's a good thing. We're going to celebrate that next week. Make sure to come. Today's text, uh, Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. We're going to Memorize it out of NIV, which you have done. We're going to study it out of the ESV. Remember, it is okay to use more than one translation. Deep breath. For all you long-term church people that thought there was only one translation that God is okay with, right? you can use more than one translation, you're going to be okay. So we memorize out of the NIV. We've been memorizing all the scripture out of the NIV. We're going to study it out of the ESV today. The ESV says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sounds a lot like the NIV. We're lucky this week. We're lucky this week. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is important that we walk through this and understand it theologically, because this is definitely, this is definitely, this is definitely one of the texts that gets taken out of context and misused often. Now, when you understand its intent well, this becomes a powerful tool to shape your heart. When you use it out of context, it can take you into some very wrong places. Okay. I, uh, I grew up in high school, so I'm in my early 40s, and uh, when I grew up in high school, it was kind of the dawn, the internet had already been invented, it was already out there, especially military use and purposes, and, but I remember like Yahoo and Google first coming out, I remember when Gmail was invented, uh, I remember being in high school and one of my teachers was making the case for how much better our world was going to be because of all of this technological advancement. Okay, so, so bear with me. If you sit in this room today or you're watching online, we have a lot of people that watch online, love you all, glad that you're joining us digitally. For those that watch online or are sitting in this room, hear me clearly. If you sit in disappointment today, I want to explain a little bit of how we got here. Especially in the massive discontent frustration that so much of culture feels. Let's talk about this. 
So back in high school, um, I was kind of coming through on the, the dawn of this internet revolution. I remember sitting in a class and one of my teachers making a statement that with algorithms and computer technology, they're going to make dating apps. Now we have had tons of dating apps invented, but they're going to make dating apps that will so perfectly, I remember this being told to me, they will so perfectly be able to match you with the right person. My teacher told me in school, the algorithms and the dating apps, you know, match.com, they were just beginning to put all that together, that they're going to so perfectly be able to match you that things like divorce and breakups and loneliness are going to be dramatically decreased. And then my teacher said, and maybe even go away because they'll so well be able to align people together. I remember hearing this. I remember sitting in a classroom and the same very optimistic teacher was talking about the decoding of the human genome, you know, and all that was happening. You remember that from years ago? When they were working on this and she said, she said, I really do believe that many diseases and a lot of human suffering, we're going to see it come to an end. She even said in class, I remember her looking at the class, I think most of you in this room, you will never have to worry about cancer. As we decode the human genome and with technology and our ability to unpack and understand things. I remember sitting in a classroom in high school, the dawn of this modern era, and uh, they were talking about nuclear power and how this natural, natural, how this natural, renewable, we're going to hone it, we're going to figure it out, we're going to learn how to make it safe, things are going to become so much cheaper, uh, it's going to change the world. I remember them talking about technology. One teacher even told me, I really do think with the dawn of all this technology and the advancement and algorithms and computers doing work for us, that we're going to be able to have like two or three day work weeks, the world is going to get so much easier. These are the things that were promised to my generation. We were kids on the dawn of the internet era. And we all know, we all know it didn't pan out exactly the way we thought or hoped it would. It just, it just didn't. And so it's no wonder, especially if you're here and you find yourself um, close to my age, a little older, younger, a little younger, a little older, but close to my age, and you just, your whole generation sits in this place of discontent, in this place of feeling like you've been let down. Listen, I get it. We were on the age at the cusp of being told the world was going to massively change for the better in so many ways, and it just didn't pan out the way we thought it would. And so we find ourselves lonely. We find ourselves tinkering with diseases and then just making newer, more dangerous ones. We find ourselves unpacking the human genome and finding out that we are way more complex than we thought we were on so many fronts. I mean, maybe the way to say it would be this. We learned what billions and billions of people have lived before us have already learned. We are still lonely, let down, disappointed, disenfranchised. In fact, our modern tools just help us get to lonely, disappointed, and disenfranchised faster and even clearer. That's all they've done. Now we have really great dating apps to show us all of our flaws and why we've been swiped away. How's that make you feel? All while we're teaching people to be more picky about who they're going to be with. 
Maybe a way to say this, this is actually an uh, excerpt out of a paper I wrote. Uh, If you like really nerdy stuff, you can go to the blog, luke117.com. That's where I share a lot of the academic side of my life. Uh, But this is a quote out of a paper I wrote here a while back um, on the transition from post-modernity to post-modernity. And uh, basically, sum it up, it would be this. The state of this world shows how discouraged the postmodern person is. In us is a desire for life to be fairer, freer, and less cruel. Yet every time the postmodern person does this for one group, it causes another group to suffer. Postmodernity isn't a forward step from modernity, but a heartbreaking realization that man only makes messes. The problem is in us. We need saved from an indwelling issue. Let me make this more personal and purposefully try to make it just a tad offensive because pastor loves you. Turn to your neighbor and say, pastor loves you. Pastor loves you. Right before I tick somebody off, I just want you to remember, pastor loves you. Let me see if I can make this personal, uh, maybe even a little painful. If you find yourself continually trying to make a politician or a technological advancement the hero to rescue or the scapegoat to blame, you are going to continually find yourself let down. You will. You will just continually find yourself let down. So if you think getting the current president out or getting the next president in or getting the past president in or getting the past president to stay out, if you think your solution is going to be found in an algorithm, if you think your real solution is going to be found in some political party, I just want to tell you clearly, you're going to continually be let down. Because here's the truth. Our leaders and technological advancements aren't the cause of our social problems. They are merely products that display even brighter and bigger what is already broken in us. They display what's already broken in us. In fact, I would say it like this. They are all, all of these things that humans make and build, they are the sum of the human condition, not the cause of it. They are the sum of the human condition, not the cause of it. They are the sum of the human condition, not the cause of it. All right, Psalm 37. I want to spend a little time contextually here before we read the text yet again that we are going to memorize this week. Psalms is a collection of many Hebrew poems, as many of you know. Most of them fall into two categories. They are either songs of lament or songs of praise. Many of these songs are written by, so they're written by David, but there are actually quite a few other authors. In fact, the way to view the book of Psalms is to see it like an ancient hymnal. How many grew up with hymns? Grew up with hymns, right? So like, you remember going to church when you were a kid and the worship leader would, uh, would say, pull out your hymnal. And the worship leader, you pull out your hymnal and say, turn to page 142. Great is thy faithfulness. That might actually be right, because I remember my years as a kid. I might be wrong. I don't know, but that just popped in my head. Right, so great is thy faithfulness. Like, you open up and you go through the hymns, pull that hymnal book out. And then if you were really lucky and went to church on a Wednesday night, then the congregation would do the hymn call-outs. Do you remember those? 
where you could raise your hand and go, Psalm 97, or, you know, or whatever, page 97, then they, you would get to pick the song that the church would sing. I would always look for the strangest songs in the hymnal and call those out on purpose. So two or three times I went to O Canada, Joe, that's for you. Uh, in our back, our sound man's from Canada. I love you, Joe. And so a couple of times I'd be like, I'd, I'd call out the O Canada song, you know, just because I thought it'd be funny in, in church. Uh, actually, they, they wouldn't sing it. They rejected me. But Joe, I do not reject you. I love you, Joe. I love you. If you were to read through all of the songs, you would see a prime desire in this book, this ancient hymnal. The desire is for a messianic kingdom. Now, this is actually a really big deal. Um, when you read through these, it is not people crying out for more money, more power, more influence, bigger homes. It is the sum of all of the songs are humans or the writers, David specifically, and then a few others. It's them realizing that more money, bigger homes, and more influence really aren't going to work. We need something wholly other, completely different. I mean, the human heart needs something significantly different, better, bigger than what this current world has to offer. So if you go home right now and you think, man, if I just had a 20% raise or at least mass cost of living, right? Like just cover my gas, whatever, right? If you go home and you think all I need is 20% raise, all I need is you know, a little bigger house, all I need is a little nicer car, all I need, you miss the heart of this whole book. The heart of this whole book is not that your little nuances in life are slightly ratcheted up. The nuance of this book is the realization that we need a whole nother kind of world that's different. And the truth is, the Psalms are really honest about humanity's struggle. So if you were to read through all of them, which I encourage you to do if you have not, you will find a couple themes. The first one would be this. There is real suffering, and it is because something is off in our hearts. Suffering, really in all honesty, is the sum of the human condition. You see that clearly in the Psalms. You see another thing, the world truly doesn't work with us. Like every step is difficult. Every step forward is hard. Have you ever tried to do the right thing and then when you do the right thing, it ends up somehow being the wrong thing and then you pray to God, what do you want me to do? You ever thought that? You try to do the right thing to heal a relationship. You try to do the right thing at work. You try to do the right thing and then somehow in the complication of all life, you end up at home going, how in the world does it feel like the right thing is the wrong thing? Every step forward feels hard. The Psalms are really honest about this. We also see this kind of in the grand meta arc of this ancient hymnal. We as humans do want more than what this world can offer. Even if you have it all, even if you are King David, even if you money, power, sex, influence, even if you have it all, you still find yourself at the top of the human hill with an empty heart still longing for more. See, it's beautiful that parts of these were written when David had nothing and parts of these were written when David had everything. And the heart of both of those still rings with it's not enough. My heart longs for something this world can't give. That's important. We long, the last major theme that I would say, kind of an arc 
meta-narrative part of this ancient hymnal. We long for a right and true king, a right and true kingdom. We long for a right and true king and a right and true kingdom. All right, so now we pull back in tight to the verse we have worked on memorizing and the verse I mentioned a couple times already. Back in tight to Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, with this on the screen, I want you to notice this text. If you take the last part of it, and in your mind and in your heart, you flip it with the first idea, you miss the whole idea. Right? So, delight yourself in the Lord, right? The first idea, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you flip that in your mind and in your heart, if you flip it and say, I have desires in my heart, and you ponder that deep, and you ponder that most, and you write those out in detail. You take the second part of the verse, and you give most of your heart's attention to the second part, and then you buzz over quick, delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to miss the whole idea of the text. See, the way to say this would be, delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. The truth is, the more that you learn to delight yourself in the Lord, he will give your heart the right desires. The more you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give your heart the right desires. I mean, here's the truth. I, I, I love you. I love you. I'm saying this to you. It's easy for us to look at our children when they come and they're like, I want ice cream for breakfast. I want ice cream for lunch. I want ice cream for dinner. I never want to eat a vegetable ever. That's the desire of their young heart. And we look at them and we go, you need new desires. And you go, God, if I just had more money, if I just had more power, if I just had more influence, if I just had more relationship or relationship the way I want it, man, then, then, and God looks at you and goes, you still are more like a child than you are me. And what you really need is better desires. And the beauty of this book that you find in context, because remember, we study the word, not just care about language and not just care about literary context. We have to care about historical context when we study the Bible, right? And so when you study the arc of this whole book, its nature, its genre, how it thinks, these people are not merely asking God for more money. They're not merely asking God for more influence. David is not asking God to have more sex. He's not asking God, he's not asking God for these things. He has already clearly stated that these don't work. The primary ask of him is, Lord, let your kingdom come. Make this world new. Make me new. Delight yourself in the Lord. And what happens to David's heart? All of a sudden, his desires begin to align with God's. And that's the end game for us. What the world needs is not your temporary desires fed and filled only the way you want. What the world ultimately needs is for you to have a heart like Christ. That's what the world needs. I'm going to invite Josh up, and I'm going to be done in just a few minutes here. Let me sum it up a couple of different ways. The first one is this. Delighting in the Lord isn't a tool for getting what you want. Placing your delight in the kingdom of God is the prime desire that will rightly shape the other desires in you. Let me say this again. Delighting in the Lord is 
It is not a tool for getting what you want. Placing your delight in the kingdom of God is the prime desire that will rightly shape the other desires in your heart, right? The next way I would say it is this. This is not a scripture exemplifying someone who finally gets a little more of what they want in this broken world. That's not what this text is about. It's the person who now truly wants a better world. Right now, I, I get it, I get, I get some of the thoughts, right? Because like, we live at a time in history, a day and age, where we believe the truest version of us is the desires that we have, the appetites that we have expressed. That's the time we live at in history. So whatever I feel like I want, if I don't feel like I love my wife anymore, I need to leave her to be true to me. Whatever sexual appetite, whatever professional appetite, whatever thing, whatever hunger I have in my heart, if I don't express it, I'm not being true to me. So we live at a time in history where literally the world applauds you being more like a child screaming for whatever they want right now. Oh, I'm so proud of you. That's right. Whatever your heart desires, you got to embody that. Good job. We live at that time in history. And so when you read this, in a sense, you can sit there and think, ah, but Pastor Mike, you're asking me to not be true to my desires. You're asking me to pretend to have desires like Christ, to pretend to have, I mean, of course, this is prior to Christ when this is written, but it's about the messianic kingdom. So it's about Jesus, even though Jesus hadn't come yet, in the timeline. You're telling me to have desires that match God and my desires aren't there. And aren't I supposed to be true to, to, to me? Are you asking me to pretend to be fake, to act like I have right desires? Yes. Bear with me. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this so well. Before there is an embodying, there is always a pretending. Yesterday, let me give you two examples. When I make this clear, you're going to go, ah, I get it. Yesterday, um, I have five kids. My youngest is one, and little Jewel, she's my COVID surprise, right? She comes into the bathroom, and she's playing in there, and I'm finishing getting ready. And uh, one of my older kids comes jumping in there, and she jumped. And so Julia looks up at her, and I was like, you can jump to my one-year-old. You can jump. So, I know this is really good. We're all standing in my bathroom, jumping. Like, come on, jump. You can jump. We're all standing in the bathroom, jumping up and down. And then another kid comes there. So we're all jumping. And my one-year-old's just watching us, watching us. And then I look at her, and she stops. And we can tell she's getting ready to jump. And so we all watch her. And she goes down, way down further than she had to go. And then she goes up. Nothing came off the ground. And then she looks at us. And we're like, yay, do it again, do it again. And so we're all jumping up and down. And she goes, again, just this. She just keeps doing this. You know, like going, squatting down and standing up, squatting down and standing up with her feet not actually coming off the ground. She is pretending to jump. But the truth is, the more she practices and pretends to jump, one day what's going to happen to her feet? They're going to lift off. 
We are called as followers of God to lean into the heart and nature and ways and truth of Jesus, the messianic kingdom as David would have known it. And we embody and we practice those. And you're right. Many, many, many times you're going to try to get it right and it just, it just doesn't go. But one day, my friends, your feet are going to lift off the ground and you will become something new as you practice it. You see, this verse isn't about you getting more money, more power, more influence. It's not about that. It's about taking delight and practicing delight and walking in the delight of the Lord. And the beautiful thing is, if you do that, he will help your feet to lift off. I'm not asking you today, right? I'm not asking you, I'm not saying that God's going to give you everything that your heart wants today, but I am telling you, God wants to give you things in your heart that will change your forever. You begin to practice them now. Now you begin to practice them. One other idea I just want to lay before you um, Righteousness and the law and the love of God, they are transcendent. And, and I know, I mean, so, so bear with me. Let me just slip on my academic hat for just a second. In Platonism, right? So like if you grew up and you have a lot of history like, and you've studied Plato and some of his ideas and then Platonism, the ideas that come from it, he has this idea that like gravity or electromagnetism or matter, there are these things that are true and real and they last, right, in our universe. But he has this idea that even things like justice and virtues are also real things that really exist. They're not man-made constructs. They are transcendent real things that actually exist. And in a weird way, though Platonism isn't exactly Christian, that idea has some merit to it. This idea that there is a transcendent way of God that supersedes, it existed before the universe and it exists after the universe and it is a real law like gravity or electromagnetism or whatever it might be, right? Like it is a real law that exists, high and low nuclear power. So in our universe, there are these laws, this framework that everything operates within. And so we go, gravity is a law that we have to learn about and we have to discover and the more we study it, the more we understand the universe. The way the Bible is written and the way David even talks about the messianic kingdom is that the love and law of God are not human-made things. They are transcendent, real attributes that exist in this universe. The love and the law of God is a transcendent real attribute that started and existed before there was a big bang and it will last long beyond entropy's decay of this world. Like the love and the law of God are this arc, this reality, this law that exists. And, and what this means is when you study, when you say, take delight in the Lord, take delight in the Lord, I'm going to lean into the ways of God, I'm going to lean into the nature of God, what this means is you are not making something, you are beginning to 
uncover a transcendent law. You are beginning to lean into a transcendent truth. Think of it like a river. And when you lean into this and you lean even closer into the love and the law and the heart of God, you will join a stream that can carry you beyond even this world. This is so good because what this means is if you only love money, you will attach your heart to something that will come to an end, and so will you. If you only love sex and you're praying for that constantly, you attach yourself to something that is going to die out, and so will you. If you only love power on this planet and influence over others or youth and young and good looks and and muscles and whatever, all these temporary things, if you are praying for and seeking after and attaching yourself to things that are dying away, you are attaching your heart to what is wasting away. And in the end, it leaves you empty. But if you attach your heart, my friends, if you attach your heart to the ways and the nature and the heart of God, if you say, God, you shape my desires, you shape my desires, help me to practice your eternal ways, you lean into a river that existed before the Big Bang, and it will carry you long after entropy has brought this universe to an end. Which makes this verse so true. Delight yourself in the Lord. Join that river. And every other desire of your heart, in the end, will be made truly holy, complete, and fulfilled. Because all these temporary things you used to love, they died away anyways. Here's what I want you to do. If you would, grab the Next Steps card. They're in the back of the chair in front of you. Go ahead and pull them out. Pull the next steps card out. Get the card out. Pull the card out. Pretend like you're doing it. Act like you're doing whatever's fine. Just get that next steps card out. I want you to think. I want to think, okay? So here's what I want you to do as you're pulling this out. I first want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. So get the card out. Grab a pen. I want you to reflect. Any prayer requests that you have, you write them down. If you're watching online, make sure to follow the link and go to the website if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, if you need to meet with a counselor. If you're sitting in this room, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. I know it's early service, the early first service. You guys are all the passionate Christians, right? Still, if you need to rededicate your life or make a decision for Jesus, you write it down. We want to follow up with you. If you have a prayer request for a loved one, you write it down. We want to follow up with you. But what I want to do, even before you start writing, is I just want to pray for you for a moment. So just pause, just pause, let me pray. Lord, in your name, I feel led by the Spirit just to mention things that people often desire today. And I ask that your Spirit would do what only it can do in the hearts of the hearer. To the person that desperately desires more money. that longs for influence, that wants popularity. Lord, these things aren't inherently evil. And we might really need some of them. But what I ask for today is that you would begin to establish, to plant, to develop, and even 
deeper appetite. I pray, I mean, that's so hard to do. I think Lewis is also right. We have a hard time imagining heaven because we don't teach on it enough. But Lord, your text literally says, I think a revelation, the old order will come to an end. There will be a day when there will be no more tears, suffering, or pain. It's hard to even imagine that. When we will no longer be victims of our governments, we will no longer produce these kinds of governments. God, where loneliness and fear of letting people really know us and fear of getting to know other people, God, when all of those things are just going to dissolve away and the most pure, eternal, glorious, God-shaped parts of who we are will grow and thrive and flourish forever. God, increase our heart for your kingdom like David. Help us to desire a truer and better world. Lord Jesus, I pray in your name that right now in this room with these people, if they've been in the church for 10 minutes, if they're just watched online, they've never walked through the doors of a church yet, or they've been in the church for 40 or 50 years, I ask in your name that you would water those seeds of eternal hunger in us. Let us long for a better world, long for a truer world. Seek a righteousness and a wholeness and a completeness that we know none of these temporary things can satisfy. God, there are people that really need more money. There are people that really need relationships. There are people that really need relief and suffering and to be seen. Those are all true. And I pray that we would be the kind of people that can alleviate, alleviate those in others, all while showing them that there is even something better. They all point to a truer hunger and a deeper desire. In your name, I ask that you would do what only you can do. And so I speak this verse, Psalm 37:4, sear it in our hearts. Put it in our minds. Let this verse yet again be another compass for living. Delight yourself in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. And you will give us the desires of our heart. Take delight in the Lord. 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 And you will shape our hearts well. Amen. As God leads you, I just encourage you, take some time, reflect. I'm just going to ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Write on that card, what do you need to trust him with? What do you, I mean, maybe there's something like, God, I got to trust you with relationships. I need to trust you with my finances. I need to honor you with my, write on there, what is God speaking to you? If you have a prayer request, write it down for a loved one. Anything that's on your heart, write it on the next steps card. Go, I love you. I love that I get to be your pastor. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.